A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Dobry vecher and welcome to the Bohemian Podcast. I'm Pete Coleman. And I'm Travis Dow from the History of Alchemy Podcast. Tonight we'll talk about the Knights Templars. They're officially known as the Poor Knights of Christ and the Temple of Solomon. They're basically a crusader order that was endorsed by the Catholic Church starting around 1129 and lasted some 200 years. They started as a very humble order, so their main color was white, which was the color of poverty. And their symbol had two knights sharing a horse, right? So very humble beginnings. Um, now, they're called Templars because their main headquarters was in Jerusalem. The king there allowed them to set up shop on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, like, you know, Solomon's Temple, right? Now, according to legend, because they got so wealthy from these humble beginnings that by the end of the 200 years, a lot of people owed them money including the Pope, kings, all kinds of nobility. And, you know, how did they get so powerful so fast? Well, according to legend, when they're on the Temple Mound, they ex excavated there and found some object of power. Think like the Holy Grail, maybe Ark of the Covenant, uh, you know, Indiana Jones, anyone? Um, so this obviously made them incredibly powerful, right? What's more powerful than money? Yeah. Really, and wealth, and and that's what it really comes down to. Uh, they, the Templars, basically invented the banking system in Europe. What they would do is they would tell a pilgrim, "Hey, you know what? Give me your gold and your debarkation city, which would be you know our area, which would be France or Germany." Um, and they they would then give you a letter of credit. You would take this letter of credit, um, and once you got to Jerusalem, hopefully you made it there safely, <laughs> as, as, and on this very expensive route. They would then give your money back uh, when you found a Templar in Jerusalem. Uh, this may have been the very first system of checks that we might think of today. The route of the pilgrims was actually very, very dangerous. Um, there were robbers along the way. They were going through difficult territories. If you made it uh, to the ships and weren't robbed in Venice on the way to, to uh, Antioch, then maybe the ship went down in a storm. There were a lot of things that were in front of you to, to, make, this, to make this pilgrimage. Um, and since pilgrims and cru crusaders, 
did need a lot of money to get to the Holy Land, the Templars were more than happy to help them uh, avoid carrying money on their persons. So this whole system seemed to work out for everybody. This model was so successful that they had uh, fortifications throughout the pilgrimage routes um, all throughout uh, uh, Europe and into the Holy Land, and the Templars did well to set themselves up in certain cities that would include three or so settlements in Prague. To give you an idea about this relation to, uh, to Prague, it was in 1230 that the Templars were introduced uh, to the city of 100 Spires by Wenceslaus I. He was under great pressure from area nobility that got the connection of the power of the Templars from the, uh, the nation of France. So he said, okay, I'm going to uh, put these folks uh, right here in the city of Prague. So it was banking and not, uh, not the Holy Grail? Is it that... was banking. Uh, my, oh. Yeah, follow the money. I think that okay. works in any era. Man, I thought they found the Ark or something. Um, you know, one of the sites that's, that's really interesting here in Prague is up behind the castle. Uh, it's Strahov Monastery. and, uh, we and we, mentioned, We've talked about that before. Yeah, we mentioned like when we the mentioned the, the devil, Devil's Bible mm-hmm. was there. So we mentioned it in um, Rudolph II, uh, the, yeah, the beer podcast because they have – See how I went to that great... first? I went to beer before the Devil Bible. So Yeah, yeah well, we know yeah. your priorities. <laughs> this is clear. Yeah, I think we've mentioned it a few times. It's pretty cool. And we're going to mention it again because there's a restaurant kind of tucked away up behind it. And um, it's basically – it was a natural cave. And then it has been hollowed out and built upon. And it has awesome, like really impressive, huge uh, kind of masonry, like bricks. And, and, you know, you can tell that they've built at it for centuries, really, because there's just, you know, one arch of bricks and another and another. And then you can still see the original cave walls in places. So they've, you know, made this cave bigger and deeper. And it's basically a wine cellar. So, you know, they had vineyards and everything. And what, what is this restaurant called? It's called Peklo, which means hell. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, because it's – yeah, it, it, it goes pretty deep down there. Double the hood, which is Bon Appetit. Bon Appetit. Yeah, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool place. Like back when there was actually – when there was monks living in the monastery, there would be a underground tunnel going from the monastery to the winery. So even in the winter, they could get to their wine without having to freeze or you know, go out in the Prague, Prague winter here. Um, but yeah, that's not the only cool thing in Strahov. Well, actually, take take a look uh, at, across the river, uh, and you will see uh, a, a an area that uh, a lot of people kind of miss, unless you're looking for the John Lennon Wall, if you ever know where that is exactly, near the Anglo-American University in Prague. Uh, but it's just north of Campa Island, and it's called the Church of Our Lady Below the Chain, which is uh, a very odd-sounding name to a lot of people. But uh, if you can uh, stay with us here for a minute... The, the Charles Bridge that we that we all know of today was always called the Charles Bridge. That was relatively new in the 1800s. That was actually named the Charles Bridge. Uh, but the predecessor to that was called the Judith Bridge. And the Judith Bridge was just askew a little bit across the Vltava River. And it really hooked into uh, a 10th century Gothic basilica known as Our Lady Below the Chain. Because they were responsible for having the chain for the, draw bri- for the, for the bridge mm-hmm. for the toll. Yeah. So, um, so of course, none of that is there today, but the name stuck. Originally, the basilica was constructed uh, for the Order of St. John of Jerusalem. After 1314, when the Order of St. John of Jerusalem obtained funds by selling off the property of, get this, the now defunct Knights Templar, this Romanesque church was knocked down and the construction started on a very grand Gothic three-aisle basilica that we see today. The remnants from the older building that had it involved with the Knights Templar, um, have been preserved, and you can actually see them to the right side of what is now the courtyard. 
Uh, I many years ago I got a chance to, while I was visiting Prague to actually go down there by the John Lennon Wall and you can actually see this basilica. What's interesting is that you'll see something called this uh, these ironworks on a gate, and uh, you think that it's actually the, the signal for the Templars, the symbol for it, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's actually the the symbol of the Maltese cross uh, for uh, Maltese order, and. Uh, but it looks just like the Templar cross. Okay. Yeah. So, so it don't don't get, get that so much confused uh, with, with the Templars and the Maltese cross. But you are looking at the the foundations of the Templars uh, right there, right on the Vltava River. Another very interesting site is right downtown in Prague One in the old town. There is not much of it left. Uh, there's an alleyway behind Tin Church right off of Old Town Square that's called Templarska, and is Really, just a, now it's just a kind of a curiosity curiosity on a map. There's there's nothing there. However, when you come to the end of that street, it's really an alleyway. When you come to the end of that alleyway, it goes underneath a building, like through an arch. And where that arch is, there used to be a wooden church called the Ascension of St. Paul. And that was one of their main churches, really a, a Templar church in Prague. And another interesting legend there is there's something interesting often associated with Templar churches, and that's a black Madonna. And the Templars, I wouldn't say they were super secretive, but a lot of what we know about them came from from their critics and their enemies later on and their, their horrible confessions and everything. But So no one can really put their finger on it and say that the black Madonnas mean this. However, it, there, there's there's a huge... This is a huge uh, phenomenon within the Catholic Church. I mean, there's there's hundreds of them around the world. There's some 450 in Europe. There's, I think, like 200 of those are in France. There's something like 11 or, or so in, in Bohemia, and a couple in Prague, actually. And no one theory could explain them all. Like, some people think that it's Mary Magdalene instead of the Virgin Mary. Um, others think that they have something to do with Isis and Osiris instead of, you know, not Christianity at all. Even though they're in Catholic churches, they might have just taken that over. Um, There's weird ones, like ones with huge, like one big eye where their face should be. And in medieval times, they wouldn't even touch them because they thought that they were demonic. And if you touch them, that you'd become possessed. And there was ones with the third eye, you know, so maybe relics from other religions that ended up in a church. Uh, It's hard to say, but from the Templars... It's interesting because they were they were in a lot of their churches, and this one in specifically. So on Seletna Street, there's there's a house of the Black Madonna, and on the corner you can see a statue of the Black Madonna, and it doesn't really fit because the house is a really famous Cubist building. Like if you go there, I think so. Obviously built in the 1930s sometime, but it still has one of the world's last Cubist interiors. It's the the Orient Cafe, I think. Cubism as an architecture is very rare. That's kind of a Prague thing. There's, there's not much anywhere else. So it's the last interior. But this Black, Black Madonna has another cool story because um, just to, to, to give you an example of, of some specific Black Madonnas, for instance, there's um, the, the, probably the world's most famous one is in Poland. And it's just a portrait of the Virgin Mary that over ages and ages kind of it you know turned black with time, so nothing weird there. But there's another one in um, in Costa Rica that um, where my wife's from, and um, there's a story that they found this little black statue in the woods, and when they took it 
to a church or when they took it somewhere, they gave it to a priest and it was gone the next day. And then they went back to the woods where they found it and it was back. And then, um, so a priest locked it in a box and the next day it was back. And then finally they just built a church around it because they knew obviously it needed to be there. So, you know, it's still there. There's, there's a spring nearby and it's, you know, it's holy water and whole, the whole nine yards. But this black Madonna the interesting thing about it was this church was burnt down, and we'll tell you why later. But when it was burnt down, it was the whole church was just burnt to a crisp. Nothing left. Even the metal was melted. It was a really hot fire. However, the Black Madonna was right in the middle, completely unfazed. So what they like to do around here, if, if there's some cool story, they like to commemorate that in you know, several ways that we've talked about in other episodes. So the Black Madonna is still right across the street there on the in the House of the Black Madonna. And what's cool about the Ascension of St. Paul is we mentioned Prague's underground before. And the foundation and the pillars that are holding up this modern building is still the same. So in theory, if you go underground, you're you're still in the underground, like the cellar of the Ascension of St. Paul. It's pretty cool. Like right now, if, if you want to find it, there's a Templar. It's called Templarska, but it's really, it's just an archway from Seletna, so it's easy to miss. But there's a, you'll probably see a sign for Einstein Pizza, and there's like a Templar Cafe right there. So if you're really looking, if you see the House of the Black Madonna, if you can find where that is, the Black Madonna is looking right at it, almost like from a Dan Brown novel. I mean, if you follow her gaze, you'll find the, that where the church used to be. So I, it's it's I, pretty I th- cool. I think there's a, probably a lot of people that, that take tours of Prague for many different reasons. Uh, some uh, are would be for uh, Jewish pilgrimages. Others for Christian pilgrimages. I, I think that there's some out there that uh, come here to to kind of look at the occult, uh, things that w- really pique their interest. And I think the Templars kind of fit into that, Travis, because I think uh, you you look at what they left behind, or more more to the fact that you look at, at what we can't find about them other than the legends and the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of those legends and stories have to deal with just this Seletna uh, area. Uh, of the, yeah. yeah, just in itself. Um, Seletna Lane is uh, a place with so many different uh, reported ghost stories, and and uh, from butchers uh, to uh, women, women of the evening uh, to uh, just uh, headless people. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I that I heard was, um, and we will need a if if you're if you're a local listener. Please uh, write us with with some if you know any more details about this. But I was told that about a century ago, Seletna was considered so haunted that people would be worried to go out by themselves at night, right? So I, I don't like the things I don't know about a lot of these ghost stories. But uh, you know, you know, turn of the century, let's say they were really worried about this street. So Seletna uh, Lane is is uh, a place covered in, in, in mystery and it's uh, one of my favorite places to, to walk around late at night when a lot of the tourists go back to their hotels and some are finished with uh, their day or they're drinking in the pub. It's relatively a quiet area near the Church of Tian in Old Town uh, in the Ungult area which was, was a, uh, a medieval area where merchants would uh, stay the night or several weeks to sell their goods uh, and now it's relatively pretty quiet, cramped lanes and, 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 and uh, uh, alleyways and you can actually squint, see her, and you know, you know, really listen hard, and maybe hear some ghosts walking around there. I think I, that would you be hallucinating. That, late at I, night. I might have been alone yeah, on the street. Too many beers, maybe that's should probably I, what. Should happened. I be worried? You might need to be worried. because okay. uh, <laughs> I, I am. I'll tell you. you know, I, I do. I, I do think that there are some people that uh, take these legends to heart, 
and they actually do walk around late at night to cause you know just a little bit of fun. Uh, but uh, that is something that uh, is very interesting when you do see it because it kind of brings these legends to life. And some of those legends include, for example, the butcher with the burning axe or the headless templar, uh, which we I think oh we'll the definitely butcher talk about. I saw. Oh, you're talking about the butcher? Yeah, the guy with yeah. the shining uh, axe. Yeah, of that course was I've around. seen him at late at night. Yeah, okay. I sorry. sorry it only sorry, happens sorry, by, I doubted the, you, by the light please. of a full moon. Uh, so you need to be aware, you need to be aware of that. One of the oldest streets in Prague is Sletna Lane, and it connects the Old Town Square with the Republic Square. It's lined with all these picturesque houses you've probably seen in these travel guides adorned with the house symbols that uh, represent ages' worth of, of, of stories. But the lane belonged to the, the royal way of Czech kings. So if there ever was a, a uh, procession of the Czech king um, or uh, some kind of burial procession, they would walk this, this area. It was a way of coronation parades uh, to Prague Castle up the hill. Uh, the royal way started at the royal court and continued all the way through Old Town Square and across the Charles Bridge and finally up to Prague Castle, as we said. Um, the house at the temple, number house number 27, stands at this place where there used to be uh, the Church of Knights Templar in the 13th century. The street that goes through the house is therefore called Templova. After the Order of Knights Templar was abolished in the year 1312, on Friday the 13th, of course, was when the mandate went out, the members used to meet secretly in the basement of this house. The stone altar of the order was discovered there later. A hospital with the church was built there in, in, instead, and the building finally became a dwelling house in uh, 1784. So a lot of history. Uh, you, you could not have to dig too far down into the foundations to find uh, maybe some connections to the Knights Templar, uh, but that would be right on Templova. Now, we just talked about one of the other legends that was very interesting was the Headless Templar. Uh, in the days of knights and noble horses, Prague was home to a very handsome Templar knight. Although there was very little known about his story, this handsomely dressed Templar knight is one of Prague's favorite ghosts and legends to talk about. It is said that he rides on his white stallion along the cobbled streets of Old Town without a head. There's the catch, right? So a cha- a cha- he would challenge people to uh, uh, give him release from this really horrible state of existence and imprisonment. Um, and what he would ask was, please, if you can, if you are strong enough, take my sword from my side and plunge it through my ghostly heart. All right, well, I don't know if I'd stick around long enough to have that conversation with this headless Templar, but this would free him from his from his eternity wand- wandering the streets uh, um, uh, around this area. So believers of this legend of the Knights Templar r- really would have a, uh, an interesting place of finding it on Lilova Street after midnight, which is very close to Bethlehem Chapel, uh, which is not a stone's throw away from the Latava River. So if you get close to that area, you might see him, and that would only happen between the hours of midnight and uh, 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., and uh, uh, that would probably be something that would send me running the other direction, Travis. So yeah, definitely definitely watch out for the headless um, Templar, but how would he even see you? How how can he talk without the? I'm so confused. Is he, is he holding his head? Is that see, what you're? Here, here's the problem with Czech legends, Travis. You can't pull at the strands here. If you pull, start pulling at the at the bits and pieces, this whole tapestry well, fall yeah, apart. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, I actually <laughs> just go with it, man. I know a somewhat <laughs> similar story, also about a knight and you know looking to be because he created he did some horrible deed in life and. Yeah, it's uh, but yeah, well, it, kind of, it falls apart pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's here's the truth to to a lot of these things. Prague is, and I've always I've said this about Prague, uh, many times. It is the best of Europe. It is the worst of Europe. And you don't have to walk more than several feet 
to to be around some of the more grotesque, horrible stories that mankind's ever had a part of, uh, taken a part of, right here in Prague. You also see some uh, be around uh, places where uh, historically there were reminiscences of of great uh, scientific discovery and artistic expression, uh, freedoms that weren't given to other people in Europe. But at the same time, there are also some pretty dark stuff around here, and I and I think that this. This does come through in the legends. It makes so, for great stories. It makes yeah. for great stories. There, there is a little bit of that occult and that darkness that really fits well to Prague. But okay, but it's not just Prague. There's there's more stuff going on in other places around Moravia. Um, we don't want to forget about the Templar areas that survived the Purge of 1312, um, which was the end of the Templars, which I'll, we'll talk about in a second here. But that included the fortress called Tempelstein in Moravia, which is it's near Brno. And then today, the ruins of the castle are on a steep cliff above Yihlava, about two kilometers northwest of the village Yamolice. That's exactly right. Uh, the, the, the river that goes through is Yihlava, uh, which is right in the very beginning parts of, of southern have, Czech Republic. Have you been there? I have. Oh, okay. Um, there's not much left of, of this, of this uh, Templar stronghold, uh, just a couple uh, uh, stone arches left and a lot of vegetation growing around it. But it is a remembrance of a, of a uh, fortification that never was taken. Uh, that that kind of leads us to the end of what happened to the Templars. Um, Bohemia, Moravia, and other parts of Central Europe had a different sort of outcome. If you were in France or in the outskirts of, of, uh, of, uh, of Italy uh, going into uh, what we know as Germany today, things weren't so good for you if you were a Templar. You talked about being imprisoned. You talked about being tortured, killed, and everything confiscated. What happened basically here in Bohemia was a little bit different. You were allowed to survive, and sometimes you were absorbed by different um, uh, Catholic orders. Mm -hmm. uh, but your your property and all the things that you had were confiscated, uh, but you were allowed to live on. So it was a little bit different. I think that lends, lends a little bit of truth to uh, Tippelstein uh, down in Moravia, that it did last a little bit longer before it changed hands uh, by several um, uh, families in that part of Czech Republic or Bohemia at the time. Yeah, that is interesting because uh, some of the others were not so lucky. So yeah, in other, in other parts um, of Europe, they didn't come to quite such a nice end. After some 200 years, they were just extremely wealthy. So remember I mentioned these humble beginnings? Forget that. We're talking bankers. Some people say they were, they were the, the first real international corporation. The Pope's rights that, they, that he gave them included not following local laws. So they didn't pay taxes to anybody. They didn't follow any local laws to anybody. They, they had no one above them at all. Kings could not hold them to their laws, nothing. Um, now, I mentioned that a lot of noblemen, kings, even the Pope, owed them money. And one in particular, which was ended up being their downfall, was King Philip IV of France. King Philip IV just happened to be in a very long war with England at the time and was in need of some funds badly. So what he did is he went to Pope Clement V and said, hey, listen, I'm paraphrasing now, um, but he said, hey, listen, you owe the money, I owe the money, why don't we just not pay them back? Can't you just please disband them, you know, get rid of these guys? Well, the problem was is that they were hugely popular. We're talking protectors of pilgrims, right? The Crusaders. They, these are at this point, uh, Jerusalem had fallen. You know, they didn't really have the Middle Eastern strongholds anymore, but they were still very wealthy and very powerful, and the people loved them. So, what King Philip did 
is he had Jack Dumoulet, who's the Grand Master of the Knights Templar, he had him arrested and under extreme torture made him sign a confession that was literally meters wrong, long. So he just unrolled this thing in front of him and we're talking, oh man, like horrible things like murdering babies, child sacrifice, spitting on the cross, uh, devil worship, you know, anything, just weird rituals, you know, to get into the church, weird, weird rituals within there, like a, like a secret order kind of thing. Well, this was actually a very personal situation. If you can imagine, King Philip was very close to uh, Jacques de Morlaix uh, because he was, a, um, he was a very close friend of his daughter's. So um, there, were, there was a, a lot of – there was a betrayal with this, and I, I think that uh, King Philip, uh, when, he, when he really put the nails to, to, uh, to this guy – uh, what, what year thirteen fourteen? He produced th- these these horrible things that he later would wa- would recant, but right. the damage was already done. Yep. Yeah. I, at this point, it was too late, and King Philip the Fourth took this signed confession and published it. Okay. So now the people's opinion changed, and then he, he, after this happened, King Philip the Fourth went to Clement the Fifth and said, "Look, now's our time. You said they were popular. No longer. Right." So Clement the Fifth said, "Okay." Um, you can do whatever you want with him. And so on Friday the 13th, this is where we get our Friday the 13th legend from. Um, on basically one day, he had them rounded up all over France and beyond. Anywhere he could, you know, say, hey, because let's face it, a lot of noblemen owed them money. So there, a lot of people were on board with him. Had them all rounded up, many of them tortured more confessions signed, but a lot of them just burned at the stake. Now, a lot of them recanted, like you just said, and they, you know, so include, include Jacques de Molay, but so, for instance, like many, many recanted, but um, for instance, Jacques de Molay, again, a lot of what we know about them was written by their critics and their enemies. But what we do know is that in his final moments, as he's being tied up to be burned alive, he asks to be facing Notre Dame with his hands up in kind of a, a praying motion, right? And then he curses the Pope and the King, okay? And then he's burned alive. Now, the interesting part of the story is that the Pope, who was pretty old, to be fair, he died shortly thereafter. And before a year was up, the King died in a hunting accident, okay? But that's not where it ends, because Clement V, his body was laid for public viewing in a wooden church, and the wooden church was struck by lightning and burnt to the ground, and to date, he is the only Catholic pope to have been cremated. So there you go. So was it a curse? Was it real? I'm going to say yes. That, uh, <laughs> that, right up, that right sounds up there, pretty rough. Right up there with the Holy Grail, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, I think you mentioned, like, some of them Some of them were able to survive. And, and uh, like, I think in Portugal, they just changed their name. So, you know, you mentioned in Bohemia, they, they were able to live but had their possessions There, there are plenty of legends of them uh, uh, Getting ships and heading towards uh, a Catholic uh, favored Scotland at the time, um, which, when I was doing the, my research here, I found out that Scotland at the time was excommunicated, as in the whole country. I yes, didn't know that could abso- happen. Absolutely, uh, and and they, like, yes, uh, this is this is normal. They say yeah. some of that treasure found its way there. There are some that say that it found its way to Nova Scotia, the you know uh, in North America. I want to do a little bit of a stretch, uh, but there, but 
uh, there are so many legends attached to, attached to the, the demise of the Templars. Um, but it is amazing uh, when you talk about the Dominicans who took over where the Knights of the Templars left off here in Prague. Um, the Jesuits that later came uh, several centuries later, uh, there are many orders that have their stamp on this city and on Bohemia. And mm-hmm. uh, the Templars were, were part of that part of that uh, legacy. So, Travis, when, when we talk about the, the influence the Templars had here on Prague and the Czech Republic, uh, what's your final sort of thought on that? We, we, we talk about, you know, they had a, a, a substantial uh, uh, click here, at, at, if I can call it a click. A, a, you a may foot, not. I may not. <laughs> if I can call it a foothold. Let's call it a foothold. And, and we have some uh, foundations that are left. Do you mm-hmm. think there's any treasures here? Do you think they buried any treasure? There are a lot of stories yeah, there's there's some interesting stories there. Um, I'm gonna say no, but <laughs> there's there's there are Jesuit uh, legends too about hidden hidden treasure. So you never know. Anytime, um, because the Jesuits Jesuits lived in, left in a hurry. So anytime someone was kicked out very quickly. So um, like when I mentioned that Ascension of Saint Paul Church being burned, that was the same. That was the the downfall of the cru- of the uh, Templars, right? So. Um, maybe if you go underneath in the basement, if you ask the Einstein Pizzeria really nicely, <laughs> hey, hey, can I can I hey. go to your beer cellar and tap the wall a little bit? I'll take what a pizza you... pie and a little bit of information about the Templars. That's all you got to go in and ask for them. They might look at you a little weird. I, again, Prague is an interesting place. Uh, Bohemia is an interesting place with so much history that's just dripping from the walls. And 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 uh, and what I usually find fascinating is that. If you find somebody native to these small towns or hamlets in, in the Czech Republic or to Prague, they'll sit down and they'll tell you these stories. They'll tell them like sure. they're old family stories, uh, that they have a, a connection to them. Uh, because uh, now some of them are outlandish, some of these like the Headless Templar, and some of them have a great deal of historical re- relevancy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I never get tired of hearing them. I've been here for several That's years great. now, and yeah. I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. So speaking of, of these great stories that are either told uh, through oral tradition, we also have uh, a bibliography tonight uh, where we got a lot of information, and one in particular is The Esoteric Prague, uh, a book written by Yuri Kuchar, uh, as well as one of my favorites, The 77 Prague Legends by Elena Jeskova. Some great, some great books with some great information, uh, fun reads, especially about legends. Uh, here in the, in the Czech Republic and uh, also in Prague. If you want to hear more about uh, some kind of interesting parts of, of uh, kind of the weird parts of Prague, come by, check out our, our sister podcast, historyofalchemy.com, where there's there's a few episodes of uh, alchemists that were ended up in Prague for the, for the same reasons. It's this mystical city. Um, we'd love to hear from you. If you happen to be a local listener and know some more funny stories, by all means, let us know. Uh, give us some suggestions. It fits very well with uh, our, the Bohemian podcast uh, site, which is bohemian.com. Uh, you can come by and take a look at uh, my site where we have got all these great historical tidbits and information uh, about people, places, and locations uh, throughout the Czech Republic and Bohemia and Moravia. Uh, you can take a look at that. Uh, I, I promise you'll spend some time there if you really uh, dig this kind of stuff. And all these great legends. Uh, there's a, a growing list that I have on the, on the website right now at bohemican.com. Remember, we'll be back every two weeks. We want to thank you all very, very much for listening. Hey, and one more thing. Yes. Rate us on iTunes. This is very important if you, if because we want everybody to listen to this podcast. So this, if you can, this go to helps iTunes, us out. Subscribe to us and rate us. This helps us out a lot. It kind of helps us move up the rankings. So if you appreciated it, hey, let let them know. Let us know. And by all means, yeah, subscribe. And we'll be back in two weeks. Thank you very much. Ciao for now. 